Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Ten long years. That's longer than some violent criminals do in jail. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine. And on this week's episode in Pipe Parts, (laughs) I'm going to call this uh, part one of a collection review because this is a collection. Uh, So we got that. My guest is uh, Professor Kelly Jolly, who is a uh, professor of religion and philosophy and a pipe smoker so we get to meet him uh music mailbag and then a special message at the end of the show to commemorate the fact that this finishes up uh, 10 full years of this little podcast that um when we got started boy none of us really knew where it was going but <laughs> here we are 10 years later 523 episodes later and uh yeah so Stay tuned till the end for the special message. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, And uh, remember, VegasPipeShow.com. This is the uh, last couple of days to prepay your admission to the show and get yourself in on the two two pipe sets. So count them two. Uh, Also, if you need any more pipe show information, like for the Capital Land one in upstate New York, or the Texas Pipe Show, go to pipesmagazine.com and uh, click on the uh, click on the Pipe Show page there. And uh, Kevin's got all that information there for you. And links to websites and all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Hope to see you at a Pipe Show. You know, get out to one. All right. Let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, collection review time, and this one's big uh and uh victor zerpicky sent this uh, well actually he handed me a uh thumb drive a usb drive 
at the most recent Columbus show. And he writes in the letter on here, it says, uh, Hi, Brian, I've met you a number of times over the years. Uh, I have been thoroughly enjoying your radio show by going back through the archives along with trying to keep up on keep on top of the current shows. I especially enjoy the segments that get into the history of the hobby and its many carvers and collectors over the years. Many of them are now gone, and it keeps their memories alive through things like this show. I've attached pictures of a portion of my collection along with some pictures of my room dedicated solely to the hobby. I've been collecting since March 17, 1996, when I bought my first pipe as a reward for passing my insurance licensing exam. My career in insurance never took off, but my passion for pipes was born at that time and continues through to today. I admit that my collection is eclectic, with some concentration in various areas that have interested me over the years. A bunch of these picks are pipes that are not smoked, as I like to preserve the art and memory of certain carvers. My goal has always been a collection representing the breadth and variety that is prevalent in our hobby while preserving some example pieces of a number of different carvers and manufacturers. I've always wanted to feel like I could go to my own brick and mortar store without leaving the house with the only difference being that the brick and mortar at my house would also serve alcohol. <laughs> I smoke a number of different pipes from my collection. Uh, these are the ones that are outside the outside of the cabinets on stands, etc. Uh, much like my eclectic collection of pipes, I'm also a fan of a variety of blends along with an occasional cigar. Let me know if you have any questions and keep puffing and doing the radio show. You're a credit to the hobby and the Briar Brotherhood and sisterhood of ours uh, with kind regards, Victor. So uh, first of all, Victor, thank you very much for the lovely letter. And the reason why this is going to take so why this is going to take <laughs> two episodes to get through uh, is because there's there's a ton of stuff here. Um, and if this is a portion, all I got to say is, wow. Uh, so the collection starts off with, uh, and I'm doing these in alphabetical order because that's how they came up on the thumb drive, uh, with 15 different ardors, all different colors, shapes, finishes, uh, primarily bent, um, mostly in, uh, I'm assuming those are sandblasted because I believe that's all ardor does, although I think they may do some rustication, but uh, primarily you know, sandblast finish. Uh, one, two smooth. So yeah, nice, uh, nice little, uh, nice assortment. And they're all again, primarily bent our door, you know, just uh, more on the larger side of pipes. So that's just the our doors. Uh, then we go down to the Ashton's and I'm starting to pick up on Victor's, uh, preference for, uh, sandblasts and rusticated because, uh, I'm looking at this picture, and there's uh, 13, 14 pipes, and only one smooth. And it looks like they're all from. Uh, looks like there may be some newer, uh, newer era ones as well as some older ones. So, again, just another. Uh, what do we got? Five, 10, 13 Ashton pipes. Um, and now we're onto the Ben Wades, and there's two pictures because the Ben Wades were. <laughs> there's too many of them to fit on one picture, and. Uh, Again, all Danish freehand style, all look like the stems are in good condition, uh, primarily smooths here, 
and this picture has uh, 12, uh, 20, <laughs> I'm, this is just amazing. Anyway, 19, 20. So there's like 26 of them in this picture. And I, and I can see where Victor enjoys the art of the shape of the pipes. Cause there's, I mean, these are, you know, obviously the free hands following the grain and the flow of it. Uh, one or two of them in this look like they're, you know, semi-classical shape styles, but again, traditional Ben Wade. And then in the next picture, there's another 25 or so, <laughs> and they're all smooths except for one sandblast, uh, two sandblasts in there. And again, another, you know, really good example of what Ben Wade did. Uh, I mean, this is a pipe shop full. Uh, and then we have a cam, we have a Caminetto photo. And the Caminetto photo, well, that's only 10 pipes, all sandblasted, um, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, classic Italian design. So uh, if you get where I'm going with this one, there's not going to be much to critique or comment on, uh, for me at least, because the next page is Costello's and I'm just quickly counting them. I was going to make notes on this, but it would have been way too much. Uh, too many notes and I would have just been reading and that would have been pretty boring. Uh, but here's 15 Costellos, a couple of smooths, a uh, couple of old antiquaries and then some sea rocks, a couple of fume tops, different sizes and shapes. Uh, you know, a really good assortment of Costellos that most people would call their permanent collection. Uh, Sheratons. And again, I'm not a Sheraton expert, but there's seven of them. And uh, these look like they're all older Sheratons from at least the 70s and 80s. And, you know, all smooths. Uh, one semi-cup and saucer-ish one that's just classical Sheraton. Uh, and then we have a photograph of Dunhills. And this is a nice little 14-pipe picture of Dunhills. And you know what? After looking at all these pipes, these just look like Dunhills. Uh, there is a couple, uh, there's a couple of gold banded, um, and two or three smooths in the Briere finish and then sandblasts and, you know, root briars and yeah. Anyway, uh, this picture in particular, this next one is Ferndown and this one caught my eye because I forgot how pretty Ferndown spigots are. And, uh, Victor's got a handful of spigots bigots and I can't tell but I'm pretty sure they're all silver there's a couple of gold banded pipes in here uh, but for those who are keeping count there's uh, 10 15 20 uh, 28 fern downs I believe so uh, you know again another collection that's just another assortment of fern downs uh, and then the last one for this week is GBD. And the reason I'm mentioning uh, the, re the reason I want to end here is because I don't, there's like 30 of them and uh, GBD. And it looks like Victor's got a preference for GBD's uh, prospect stem, the clear plastic stem, uh, the clear acrylic stem, which is really cool. Uh, a little hard to keep clean, but again, here's uh, one, two, three, four, eight, ten. 15, 20, 25, 30, <laughs> 34 GBDs, all in different classical shapes and a few oddball shapes that I've never seen before. So, uh, yeah, 
All right. So that's going to that's going to end part 1 and then part 2 will be in a week or two or so cuz uh I mean this is a massive collection and with the other collection reviews that I've done I've had a suggestion of something that maybe they want, ought to add and I've got nothing to suggest to this so we're literally just going to go shopping through his collection and uh drooling and all I can say is I can imagine it might take an hour or so just to pick out one pipe to smoke for that next hour. So, all right, there you go. Part one of Victor's collection. And in just a moment, my conversation with uh, Professor Kelly Jolly. This is Internet Radio. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefolge, 100,000 welcomes. Wherever you come from, whosoever you be. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And joining us by by your own words, you said another pre- another pretentious PhD pipe smoker, which is kind of redundant, redundant, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah. joining us is a professor of philosophy, professor of religion from Auburn University, uh, Professor Kelly Jolly, PhD, and uh, pretentious pipe smoker. So, Kelly, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So, um, you are. I, I mean, I'm looking at your. I'm looking at your, uh, at your online bio here on uh, Auburn University, which, if I remember right, that's War Eagle, right? That's War Eagle. Yep. Okay, so none of that rolling tidy bowl stuff. No, 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 no. That's the that that's the dark side. Yes, 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 yes. We won't talk about one of the greatest rivalries in college sports. Um, I mean, bitter rivals. <laughs> bitter indeed. Yeah, but anyway, uh, so where did where did you grow up, and when did you decide that you were going to be a professor of religion and philosophy? Um, well, I grew up in southeastern Ohio, right on the Ohio River. In fact, at the confluence of the Canal and the Ohio Rivers, in a little town called Gallipolis, Ohio. Oh yeah. I, wait, I drove yeah. right past there on the way to uh, to the pipe show in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I grew up uh, grew up there, um, and um, I guess I was in. Oh, I guess I was in seventh, no eighth, eighth grade. Um, they moved me out of my junior high into the high school classes, um, and put me in a high school creative writing class with the seniors. And I really liked that class. And that summer I wrote a book of about 50 essays and I took them to the woman who taught me the creative writing class. And 
gave them to her the first day of ninth grade, what would have been the first grade of high school, for, first day of high school for me. And the next day she came back with them vetted and with a copy of the complete works of Plato. And she said, this is what you should be reading. And so I read a page or two of the dialogue called The Lysis. And I thought, okay, yeah, that's what I want to do. And I never really changed my mind after that. Okay, I've got one word that comes to mind right now. Um, nerd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if I understand that right, you were bumped up from middle school into high school senior classes. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Never mind. Uh, yeah. So what was it? What was it about that? Was I, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about what I'm asking you. So you could tell me anything you want and I'll believe it. But mm -hmm. do you remember what it was that kind of triggered you or kind of connected with you? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I grew up in, uh, a very religious household, mm -hmm. but a household that was not averse to, to thinking or to questioning. Um, my dad was a reader. My mom was a reader. Um, and so I no, don't know if it was because, you know, interacting with them a lot when I was younger or if it was because I was in a house in which, you know, ultimate things were discussed casually. Um, but I just, started thinking about various things. I got interested in thinking about them. And when I got a chance to start writing in that class, I realized that writing really just was the externalization of thinking. Um, and I wanted to do that, but I didn't know exactly what it was I was trying to do. And then I read that Plato and I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's it. I mean, I can't <laughs> do what he's doing, but that's what I, that's what I want to be able to do. Um, and, you know, that aspiration really hasn't ever gone away. So that was kind of like the I found my people moment. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I, I, I had thought kind of, you know, in the way you do at that age that maybe I would be interested in something like physics or something like that. You know, I, I had this sense of, you know, being interested in what you might call ultimate questions. But, yeah, it wasn't until I got to philosophy that I was like, OK, yeah, that that's the thing. That's that's the kind of thing I want to I want to do. Well, and how fortunate that you found a high school teacher that recognized that, especially in somewhat of a rural area. Oh, yeah. No, it, it really was just a remarkable thing. She was a, her name was Sauer, and she was a terrific, just a terrific teacher. Um, and yeah, she, you know, she really, you know, not only sort of saw something in me and, and you know, attempted to identify it and to, uh, to, to grow it, but uh, she just uh, was someone who kind of you know, stood beside me for a couple of years, especially early on when I was kind of like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I didn't fit into school particularly well because I was never quite in the right grade. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, she was, she was a huge help to me. Uh, I was really lucky to have, to have had a teacher like her. And I had her for an odd reason. Um, the school I went to was a school in the shadow of two major power plants there in the Ohio Valley. And at one time, all the tax money had gone to that little school. And for a brief time in the 60s and 70s, it had been like a private school uh, and mm -hmm. had this remarkable faculty. And she was really the last holdout of the school when it was like that, before they consolidated and the money went all the way through the district uh, to all the schools in the area. Wow. 
So where do you go from where do you go from there? You, I, I'm assuming you probably graduated high school a little early or younger than normal. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I got accepted at the College of Worcester in their early admissions program, and so I left high school after eleventh grade and went to College of Worcester, and you know, showed up the first day and said, went to the meeting for the philosophy folks and said, yeah, this is what I want to major in. Um, and they were like, okay, you know, that's great. Uh, and so they let me skip the introductory stuff and I went into the upper level classes right off the bat. Um, <laughs> Nerd. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. I didn't teach an intro to philosophy class. I mean, I wasn't in an intro to philosophy class until I taught my first one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, all I'm doing, I'm picturing you as the, uh, as the philosophy version of the cast of the big bang theory. <laughs> yeah well I, I have to say that there are there are moments in that show that do seem uncomfortably familiar <laughs> uh so you end up getting your uh your phd from the university of rochester uh, mm -hmm. which had a ton of money up there because of the eastman kodak company and i, right. I know that right. but what is what is your actual phd in or do you have like three or four of them just for fun no, no, I just have the one. Um, I wrote my dissertation on uh, a philosopher whose name is Plotinus. He was a, a Neoplatonist, 2nd century AD. He's sometimes thought of as the father of Western mysticism. And I wrote a dissertation on his philosophical psychology, basically thinking about his account of what a human being is. Um, that was the subject matter of the dissertation. So all that stuff you just said, I'm going to have to look up afterwards, but I promise I will, uh, <laughs> just so that I kind of understand it. Uh, when did pipe smoking come into your life? Um, when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> every year every year for my birthday, my grandmother would send me $5. And on my 16th birthday, I took the $5 she sent me, and I went downtown in Gallup Police to a little drugstore that was called I think Gillingham's at any rate, I pulled a Grabo off the pipe cart on the wall and grabbed a, a pouch of Borkham Rift cherry and paid the guy. Luckily I'm a big guy. So he never asked me about my age. Um, <laughs> and I snuck up on the hill behind the house and found a tree stump that was hollow. Uh, and I had a plastic bag. And so I would smoke my pipe up there beside that tree stump and then hide it in the plastic bag. <laughs> Uh, in between smokes and so that's how i became a pipe smoker uh, all right you survived that <laughs> and ended age yeah. 16 of course because you know the, the the philosophy nerd in high school wants to smoke a pipe indeed yeah how could, how could i resist it, it yeah uh, i mean the only thing you know the only thing worse than that is if you wore a sundial on your arm but um right i didn't do that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so when do so did it stick automatically? I mean, were you were you hooked? And... No, uh, I mean I I liked the 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 doing of it, mm -hmm. but the the tobacco was awful. The pipe was awful, uh, and I figured that out pretty quickly, but didn't really have a chance to kind of move up. I mean, there was nothing else. I didn't I didn't really know there were better things to have, um, and it would be. I guess it would be a couple of years until my first year of college when I finally got to my first decent pipe store. And then I was like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> you don't have to buy a pipe off of uh, 
off the wall, you know, with a, a card and a Graybo guy smiling at you, um, you can actually buy something worth having. And I think, I think the first pipe I bought that was, you know, decent pipe was a Savinelli. Um, and once I got that, then I, then I really was hooked. Uh, then I was like, Oh, this is what I thought this should be. Um, that's a, uh, perfect. I think the man who sold me that sold me some English tobacco and that also changed everything. That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with the, uh, with the good pretentious doctor. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then, we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. Three six six zero three four five. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Professor Kelly Jolly. Um, did you name a daughter, or did you have a sister named Holly? No, but I did have cousins whose last <laughs> name was Holly, and so. As odd as it sounds, we would actually go to their house often at Christmas time. So we really did have Holly Jolly Christmases. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing the Hollies always came to the Jolly because otherwise it would have been the Jollies going to the Holly, and that would have been Jolly Holly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you have to, you have to keep the names in order. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you got so you got a real pipe and you got real tobacco, and now you're off on in college and is pipe smoking a daily thing for you uh it pretty much becomes that i uh i wasn't it really didn't become sort of a daily thing until uh about another year down the road i ended up long story i won't tell deciding i didn't want to stay at school at worcester and so i dropped out for a little while and then when i went back to school i i actually shifted and went to ohio university in athens ohio uh -huh. and while i was there I started going to a pipe shop downtown and I got to know the owners and eventually they hired me. Uh, and so I started working in the pipe shop in the afternoons and the evenings. And that gave me access to, you know, lots of pipes and lots of tobaccos and lots of pipe smokers to talk to and cigar smokers and so on. And so that was really the beginning of more serious education as far as pipes goes, go. So what year was this, and, and what would have been the key pipes that you guys sold? Um, let's see. What year would that have been? That would have been um, 85, 86, something okay. like that. Um, they sold a lot of different pipes there. We sold Petersons. We sold Savinelli's. Uh, we sold uh, 
Kamoy, GBDs, um, you know, about, about all the things you would sort of expect, plus uh, a fair number of, of Italian pipes that were sort of new to me and I think sort of new to the shop. Um, so there were a lot of things there, and there were tons and tons of tin tobaccos and so on. Oh. So I got a chance, you know, slowly to, to kind of smoke my way through many, many different blends. And, and you wanted to live in Athens just so that you could communicate with Plato. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Which, um, yeah, which I understand is not that colorful stuff that you can mold that comes in a can and kids play with. But No, no, he's colorful, but not in quite the moldable way. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go back to uh, professor of religion and professor of philosophy. Those, those two don't get along sometimes, do they? No, sometimes they don't. Um, and I think, you know, in all oh, the last 100, 150 years of, of philosophy, it's, it seemed like there's even more of a, you know, divide there, even more of an antagonism. But if you look back through the history of philosophy, most of the major philosophers of history have been theists of some kind, yeah. uh, starting with Plato, who we've been talking about, who was, who was certainly a theist. Uh, Aristotle was a theist. I mean, the gods they believed in weren't necessarily the gods people were thinking of on Sunday mornings right. in Alabama or in North Carolina, but they were theists uh, of sort. And, you know, that continues, of course, into the medieval period and even into the beginning of modern philosophy, where most, most philosophers are still theists of some kind. So if you look at the history of philosophy, there doesn't seem to be quite as much antagonism, but the last hundred years or so, it looks much more antagonistic. So basically with your, with the two areas that you teach, I can ask you who you are and why you are. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm not sure how good my answers to any of those will be. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, definitely, you know, I think of, of philosophy is for me, philosophy is sort of oriented on questions of self-knowledge. And so, your worries about who you are are central in a way to what philosophy is. In fact, there's a platonic dialogue called the Phaedo that opens with Socrates seeing a young man and asking him, where do you come, where do you come from, Phaedrus, and where are you going, uh, the Phaedrus? And, you know, that question sounds like it's just a question about where the young man is walking to, but by the time the dialogue is done, you realize it's really a question about self-knowledge. Yeah. You know, where do you come from and where are you going? And that is, in a way, I think, what philosophy is. You're concerned with. Not I, I do play dumb really well, but I know that one. Uh, just a little bit. I, I read the Cliff Notes version, and I think there was a cartoon about it. Uh, <laughs> all right, so going back to pipes. Now, are, are you at the point where you're starting to buy... Uh, yeah, in the mid-'80s, that was when kind of the... Uh, the aging and storing of tobacco started being discussed, and... You know, having a pipe collection in a rotation, is that something that started to, started to dig into your wallet? Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Um, I mean, I, I was still you know, a student, so couldn't, couldn't do as much as I might want. Luckily, of course, at the pipe shop, I was given a, a, pretty, a pretty hefty discount, so I was okay. able to get a fair amount of stuff. But I didn't really, um, I don't guess I got you know, many pipes you might consider pricey until grad school um when i was in graduate school at rochester 
I again got a job in pipe stores. Um, but it wasn't really the pipe stores that I worked in that were the ones that were the source of pipes for me. It was the, there was a pipe store in the bottom of what I think was the Century Plaza building. I think it's now like First Federal building, but it was an amazing pipe store. Um, and I got my first Upshaw. I got my first um, Larson, um, you know, some of those pipes there. Uh, and again, learned a ton about pipes from the guys who, who worked there. What do you think there's a, is there a corollary between pipe smoking and philosophy or people of a broader, deeper thinking? I mean, I, I just, I seem to, I seem to find it more and more that anytime I talk to a pipe smoker, they just have a they have a deeper understanding of things or at least want to know deeper about them. Yeah. I, I, I've wondered about that a lot too. Um, you know, uh, and I mean, there's, there's an old, an old line you probably know says some, the line goes something like, you know, a pipe draws wisdom from the mouth of the philosopher and stops the mouth of the fool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there. I do think that part of it with pipes is that there is something kind of inherently reflective about the activity. Um, you know, it's something that busies your hand while at the same time, your hands while at the same time kind of freeing your mind. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's a kind of, you know, pipe smoking provides kind of literally natural physical posture for thinking. Um, you know, you're not necessarily in Rodin's thinker's position, but you're in something like that. Um but at any rate, I like you, I, I do find that there's, you know, some interesting correlation between those things, um, some interesting relationship. Do you do you find it easier when you're when you're reading and writing if you're smoking a pipe than if you're than if you're forced by some communist anti smokers to not be able to smoke? Yeah, yeah, I definitely like it. In part because it just for me it, it imparts a kind of rhythm to to writing. Um you know, when I'm writing, especially when I'm writing fiction, um, I really like being able to, you know, to, to stop and, you know, relight uh, or to stop and tamp the pipe. All those are, you know, moments where you can let a sentence sort of percolate uh, and then decide, you know, exactly what you want it to be. Um, so I find it, yeah, really, really useful uh, and an aid to work. And I don't like it when I can't do it. And you mentioned your writing, and it says in your bio on at Auburn University that you recently finished a book on the TV show Chuck. I did. Um, actually, that's that that little that information's a bit out of date. I did that a few years ago, um, but yeah, I wrote a book on on the show Chuck. Uh, I got very interested in the way that show could be seen as itself sort of organized around a philosophical problem the problem of other minds. How do you know that other people actually have minds in the way that you have a mind? You might think that all you really have available to you is what you can observe or hear. Um, and you know, all that you might think could be faked. There might be all this talk coming from this body and yet there might be nothing happening inside it of the sort that happens inside you when you're talking. Um, this is an old problem in philosophy, but a, a show like Chuck about spies in a way takes that idea and runs with it as the characters are always caught in these problems of trying to figure out 
what these other people are doing, what they're thinking, what their motives are, and so on. So you can think of it as a kind of practical version of the other mind's problem. So now you're going to force me to go back and stream all of Chuck because I think I only watched maybe one or two episodes and I don't know, I had yeah, kids I or something. A, I think it's a show worth streaming. I mean, there are things, you know, it's, it's a few years past it now and there are a few things in it that are probably dated and won't wear so well. But I think the central ideas of the show and the way the show is constructed, it's, it's a lot better show than I think people often realized. Um, there's a lot more to it than, than people may have realized. Uh, so I definitely think it's a, it's a show worth watching. And I really like it because it's, I th you know, the writers I like, fiction writers and so on I like best, people like Austin and Dickens and, and then writers like Shakespeare, people who you can read at the surface level and really enjoy, but you can also lean in and find more there. And I think that show is a good example of that. As I, like, as I put it in the book, you can, you can watch the show with your feet up or with your feet down. Yeah. All right. All right. Good. Now you got me occupied for another, I don't know, 50 hours, 60 hours. Or whatever. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but I'll be smoking a pipe while I do it. There you go. There you go. Um, now, over the years, how big is your pipe collection gotten? Are you mm. are you allowed to say I, in public? <laughs> yeah, publicly. Uh, I don't know. I think I probably have around 200. Um you know, I may be a little below that or a little above that. I, over the last few years, I haven't bought a lot of higher end pipes. I've, I've really bought a lot of, well, for instance, early transition barlings. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've just, I got interested in barlings and, and started buying them and just kind of kept at it. And so mm -hmm. I have a lot of, of them in, you know, sort of every conceivable size and shape. Um, that's probably the the brand I've been most interested in recently. But I've also been buying a whole lot of these smaller Danish makers like Svenborg. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and as I like to joke with my wife, all those guys whose names rhyme with Kierkegaard. Um, <laughs> You know, I, don't, I can't tell you all the names, but I bought a number of those pipes from, from like K. Bertram, I think is another one I've been buying some of. Yeah. But yeah, a number of really nice little pipes that uh, I like. I think that's been a, a real shift for me for years. I'm a big guy, and for years I, I tended to buy bigger pipes. But as I've gotten older, I've found that I like smaller ones uh, as much or more. And so a lot of the barlings and the Danish pipes and things I've bought have been smaller, smaller pipes. Are the smaller ones just for comfort, or is it because of lack of opportunity to, to smoke a big pipe? Yeah, part of it's lack of opportunity. Part of it, though, is just I like to be able to clench them while I'm working. Um, it's just easier to do it with the lighter pipes, obviously. Yeah, well, and as we get older, it gets harder and harder to hold a four-ounce pipe hanging yeah. out of our face. Yeah, it really does. Uh, I mean, I still like those large pipes, but but yeah, I don't. I tend not to smoke them nearly as often as I used to. Um, yeah, but the, but those pipes you've mentioned all uh, yeah the the early transition era of barling and some of those seventies and eighties Danish pipes they're still a good value on the estate oh, market for what you get. Great value, I think. Yeah, you can get so many nice examples of them, uh, and you know for for really reasonable amounts of money, you just have to be willing to to sort of 
learn how to read eBay ads and learn how to look at the pictures, <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, once you do that, you know, you don't miss very often. I mean, occasionally I do occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll get something that's just in worse shape than I, than I realized. And I should have, you know, should have known it. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I've been really, I've been really pleased with the pipes I've gotten and most of them smoke really nicely. And they're, they're just, you know, like a lot of those Danish pipes are incredibly well-made. Um, the engineering's really faultless. Well, and the philosopher in you would, would tell you that you have to have something, you have to have one or two of them go bad. Otherwise you wouldn't appreciate the, the others that go right. Yeah. True enough. Yeah. You know, something for comparison. Yeah. Uh, your, uh, did your tobacco taste move around or once you found English, was that it? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Once I found English, that was it. I mean, I, I've moved around, you know, among English tobaccos over the years and smoked a lot of different ones. Um, you know, various things I've had for, for times as favorites that are of course long gone now, like Sullivan Powell's gentleman's mixture yeah, or elephant and castle Roanoke. Um, <laughs> yeah. things that, you know, uh, gone with the wind, but, uh, but there's still a lot of, you know, lots of terrific tobaccos out there. Um, uh, lots of things, lots of things to smoke, but yeah, my, I, I'll smoke, uh, Straight Virginia's some. I used to smoke tons of McClellan's. Um, still have some of that in my cellar. Uh, and I smoke a lot of a lot of things that in some way or other kind of group around Balkan Sobrani's white, which was a favorite of mine when I first really started smoking English and has stayed a favorite. Yeah, you were sitting in that smoke shop in the 80s with all that stuff, and now it's gone. Uh, but I... Yeah, that's one of the things I was thinking about the other day is the you know, the, the fact that all that stuff, you know, because I worked in that pipe store, then I worked in one in grad school, and, you know, I just, all that stuff just seemed permanent, and then it's just gone, you know. Uh, I mean, pipe stores like those are so few and far between now. Um, it's really, it's really amazing how things have changed. That's, uh, that's why I always tell people, enjoy the moment that you're in, because the next one's not promised, nor could it be as good, so. Yeah. Uh, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. And this for a philosophy and religion professor, these are going to be pretty tough. So are you ready? <laughs> I'll do my best. What is your favorite pipe? Uh, it's probably the pipe I bought. I think it's the second good pipe I bought. It was a little Peterson, um, uh, kind of low that shape. Uh, sandblast with the P lip. And although I don't know that I think it's the best smoking pipe I have, I, I kind of fell in love with that look and shape. And it's been at sort of the center of the pipes I've collected over the years. I mean, not all my pipes look like it, but a large number of them are dark sandblasts. Um, <laughs> I think that pipe just sort of got in my imagination uh, and just kind of fixed it in a certain way so that you know, it fixed what pipes appeal to me. It kind of set the table. It really did. Yeah. And what is your favorite tobacco? Um, these days I think it's probably Rattray's three noggins. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, you know, I've had so many over the years that I really enjoyed, but, but that's the one that 
I've got access to these days and that I, I, I keep coming, keep coming back to. And what is the philosopher's favorite drink? Uh, coffee. There we go. <laughs> Definitely coffee. Please. I drink far too much of it. Please tell me it's not some flavored sugary, whatever. Oh, good God. No. Okay. Good. No, no, no. no. Real coffee. No cream, no sugar, just black. All right. Hot, black, and strong. Uh, yep. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, probably music. Um, I'm a, a big music fan. I started playing the guitar a few years ago, and although I'm not much good at it, I really enjoy doing it. <laughs> um, I grew up in a house of musicians. My dad was, uh, along with being a, a school teacher, was about as close to a professional bluegrass musician as you could be in those days. Wow. Um, so I grew up with, with music around me all the time. And I spend probably about an hour or two of, uh, of every day really trying to listen to music. And it's a break from your, uh, from your teaching because you're not yeah, reading yeah, or writing. It's a break from writing. Yeah. 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 It's a very different kind of thing. The guitar is very different than trying to put sentences together. And yeah. so it's a nice break. It's a different part of the brain you're using. But, yep. And moving your hands at the same time, which is the part that yeah, screws me that, up. That's the hard part, the moving <laughs> the hands thing. Yeah. My brain knows what to do. The hands just won't cooperate. Yeah, that's 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 one of the things about guitar playing that's incredibly humbling. You know, I've, I've been lucky all my life to be quick in, in terms of quick-headed. But, you know, I can know what I'm supposed to do with the guitar, and yet I've got to make my hands do it. And, you know that just takes time and there's nothing to nothing for it, but practice. I can't, I can't leap ahead uh, with it. <laughs> and then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? I mean, maybe I'm, I'm picturing you going to Athens and sitting atop the <laughs> Parthenon with a pipe. Um, and You know, I, I, maybe my favorite memory is, I, I don't know if it's, it's my favorite memory just because it was odd, but, when I was working at the pipe store in Rochester, one day they closed the shop. I was there working and they brought in, it must've been something like a hundred brand new upshawls in boxes. Ooh. And they shut the shop down for this one collector who came in and spent about five hours. We served him coffee and so on. Uh, but about five hours sorting through those pipes and then he bought something like 20 upshawls. <laughs> and I just had never, I mean, first of all, I hadn't seen an upshawl until those boxes came into the shop. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, they were all top, just top of the line things, wonderful pipes. And to see any, someone spend that kind of money, you know, one, one shot for pipes. And that just, I don't know, like I said, I don't know if that's a great memory in terms of sentiment or anything, but just, sticks in my mind is one of those days where you're like, okay, wow, that's a different kind of collector than I am. Now notice I didn't say great. I said favorite and that's a, that's a favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is no qualifier of greatness upon anything. It's All just right. whether or not it All was right. your Good. favorite. So yeah. Well, I, I would like to tell people to go find your books. It's uh, Kelly K E L L Y jolly J O L L Y. Just Google search. You all know how to do that. Uh, the the pretentious pipe smoking professor Jolly, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. 
And uh, and just one more time, we'll do it. War Eagle, and we'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> Since its beginnings in 1876, 7LE has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, if you want to search uh, Kelly's work, his first name is Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, last name Jolly, J-O-L-L-Y. So find the, you know, do a little Google search, you'll find him. All right, for music, we're going back, going back, 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 back. This was the first pipe-related song ever played on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and it's the... Uh, Stereocratic parties, I smoke a pipe. I smoke a pipe. Football and such, but I prefer 
the sweet taste and touch of my pipe, licking my lip while I puff. Bows and arrows, and they all seem to smoke a pipe. I smoke a pipe. I smoke a pipe. Thanks go out to uh, Jeff Grasick for helping us find that because that's who introduced it to me. And I think this is the third or fourth time we've played this version. And then there was that really bad version that we played as well. You've got mail. And remember, you can send your comments and questions directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Uh, just like uh, Dino does every week, and going back to last week's show, Dino says, uh, great question and comprehensive answers from both Jeremy and you. I'm often entertained by some of the expert pipe tobacco reviewers on the internet. Some of the bovine scat that passes for scholarly opinion from people in the pipe hobby for only a few years makes me want to reach for the large polo mallet. <laughs> A wonderful conversation with Jason, who's very full of life and commitment to family, community, and his art is commendable. Uh, you're right. You can't dislike Huey Lewis and the, new, and the News. Good tune. I'm in complete sympathy with you in dealing with the medical establishment's rigmarole. Oh, that's how you spell rigmarole. <laughs> uh, good show. Thanks, Dino. Thank you, Dino. You're welcome. And then another one who posts every week is uh, Casey Ghost. And this week, Dan says, a real good show. Not sure I can buy the explanation on identifying good leaf. It seems to me as many times as I saw the Lucky Strike commercial sold American, it looked to me like the buyers just walked through and determined what was good and what was not. These guys somehow could tell. Of course, my recollection from 65 years ago could be an error. Uh, I really liked Jason Patrick. He seemed like a real good person with a solid foundation. Of course, being in his 40s with a wife and six kids, he would have to be. Yeah. Uh, your rant was spot on, but you didn't really offer a solution to it. It'd be nice if the paperwork was simple, but with all the people who are trying to cheat the system, including doctors, big pharma, and the patients, etc., it's tough. Uh, the reason for all the paperwork isn't for us, but rather all the cheaters in the system, and they still get away with billions. Yeah. Yeah, if there's a system, boy, there's a way to cheat it for sure. And then we have uh, Appalachian Piper 92 who says, uh, Jason is a great carver and an even better guy. I've many commissions from him, and they're some of the best smokers I own. Actually, they're not the best smokers of their own. They're some of the ones you enjoy the most. But, yeah. And then uh, J.M. Smitty says, uh, Great show, Brian. I had the pleasure to fortuitously sit next to Jason in the smoking tent at Chicago this year. He was a super nice guy that had his pipe sitting out in front of him. 
The pipes looked to be in pretty good state, and he seemed excited about the feedback that he had received from people. Fast forward to the NASPC show, and he had a whole table selling his pipes. One particular sandblasted Lavat almost made it home with me. Good guy, and good luck with his future pipe endeavors, Jason. Yeah, I think I stuck my finger in that Lavat once or twice. Uh, and then uh, Spike writes, uh, Brian, Mrs. Spike and I are at the Outer Banks of North Carolina and just finished listening to last week's episode. Jason was a wonderful guest, personable and entertaining. His life story on pastoring and adopting those kids is heartwarming. You always get great guests and conduct interesting interviews. Don't let that go to your head. Uh, best to you and yours and Jason and his Mr. and Mrs. Spike. Well, hopefully, Mr. and Mrs. Spike, hopefully you had a good time out on the Outer Banks. Um, and then Guy says, uh, hi, Brian, thanks for discussing with Jeremy my question about identifying premium tobacco in last week's show. Both your uh, both yours and Jeremy's comments were insightful. I too, uh, I too wish I knew the Powerball numbers for next week. I'll just have to content myself with a bowl of tobacco that I know from experience to be a good one. In that case, I've already won. Uh, your interview with Jason Patrick was a pleasure to listen to. He knows his craft well. I saw his pipes online, and they have good proportion. Jason comes across as humble, and this seems to be par for the practice of pipe maker. Uh, the interview got me ruminating with an interesting, reflective, and humble lot the pipe community is. I wish you a successful Las Vegas International Pipe Show. The conversation will be good, Guy. Thank you very much. And again, comments, questions, email them directly to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you have a uh, pipe collection that you want me to review, and hopefully it's not 600 pipes, uh, you know, just send it on over to me. Or a tobacco review, just send that over to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. All right, uh, instead of a rant time, special message coming up next. Are you looking for that rare or favorite tobacco? Are you wanting to sell those blends or pipes you no longer fancy? Then visit tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site, and begin your search. Browse our ever-changing selection of fine and elusive luxury tobaccos, pipes and smokers requisites, and bid on items in an exciting auction setting. Visit us at www.tinbids.com and sign up for free today. Tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. of uh, 2012. May of 2012 was the first time Kevin approached me about doing this show, and then we uh, 
We met, we actually met at the Kansas City Pipe Show. It was me, Kevin, and Greg Pease, and we talked in that, that June. We talked about some ideas about the show, and then uh, we went off, and I learned how to <laughs> learned how to record a podcast and tried to figure all that out. And then uh, in September of 2012, well, this show started, and I had never thought at that point that you know, where it would go or what it would be. Uh, I just knew that we were going to do it for a year and see what would happen. And I've got to say, I didn't know that it was going to probably be the, um, you know, my, my biggest point of impact on the, uh, on the world, but it's all because of you folks, you people, the listeners that this show has continued on for 10 long years. That's 10 years of continuous shows and it's because of the friendships and the relationships that have been built around the people that I've met through the show and through the hobby that this show continues on it's because of the uh you know sometimes really personal relationships that I've had that I don't mention them on the air but you know there's a lot of people out there that have become really close friends and uh, confidants and uh, you know uh, if I need help on their area of expertise they've never hesitated to answer the phone and uh, it's because of you guys you listeners that we have kept this show going this long yeah the uh, the show sponsors make it uh, so that you know so that I don't have to dig into the family budget for pipes and tobaccos and we are greatly appreciative especially to Missouri Mearsham and smoking pipes and all those guys who have been on since the start i mean that's 10 years of ads running on this show so thank you to them and yeah this is the uh, only time i'll say it but if you're making a purchase you may want to consider doing it with one of our advertisers because yeah, thanks to them we keep the show going and thanks to you we'll keep going even longer and we have a, a little message here for you. Hey guys, this is Kevin Godby, the owner of PipesMagazine.com. I'm thrilled that we've made it through 10 years of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And I want to thank you all for listening. And I also want to thank Brian for sticking with it and doing a fantastic job. I would say here's to another 10 years, but I don't want to scare off Brian. Thanks again, guys. And, of course, a thank you to Kevin for putting up with me, which is sometimes not easy. And if you don't believe that, ask my wife for kids because uh, Kevin and I's relationship is only <laughs> second in length to theirs. So, uh, once again, thank you, everybody, for, the, uh, for 10 years. We'll keep it going. And thank you to Kelly for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Yeah, and thanks to me. Yeah, thank me, jackasses.